Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 189 of our Bible studies together. Today, we are opening Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Now, in our last study, uh, Jesus was arrested and he was taken before the council. And today, we open with Christ's trial before Pilate and end with his crucifixion. Okay, this one's a little hard for me sometimes when I think about all the sins I've committed and how unworthy I am. Uh, I hope it means even more to you. Uh, let's go. Chapter 23, Gospel of Luke, verse 1. Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Verse, notice how Jesus phrases that in at least the Gospel of Luke. And also notice that uh, uh, Pilate doesn't seem to be uh, concerned about Christ saying he's the king of the Jews. But let's keep going. Verse 4, Pilate turned to the leading priests and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Now, remember, uh, they were surrounded by the leading priests, uh, teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. Verse 5. Then they became insistent. But he is causing riots by teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now, notice uh, Pilate's response here. He, he sees it out. Verse 6. Oh, is he a Galilean? Pilate asks. When they heard that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Now, Herod Antipas uh, was the son of Herod the Great. And if you're not familiar uh, with uh, theology or, or Roman history, Herod the Great is um, uh, the one who massacred uh, the infants of Bethlehem. Uh, now, Herod Antipas is the one who murdered John the Baptist. We'll find that out in other scriptures. Uh, but Herod Antipas, the reason he murdered John the Baptist is John the Baptist called out Herod Antipas for having an illicit relationship with his brother's wife. And uh, Herod also uh, is the one that Christ called that fox. Uh, if you don't remember, that was earlier in our studies, uh, Luke chapter 13 around uh, here it is, verse 32. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. And that was the reply. I'll go ahead and read verse 31. Uh, at that, This is when Jesus was teaching. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Uh, so we'll see here in, uh, well, let's just go ahead and read. Uh, Herod was anxious to actually meet Christ. Verse 8, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked, he asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. 
Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. So, in other words, uh, Herod is sitting there just, just peppering questions at Christ. And Christ doesn't answer. And the crowd is sitting there watching Christ not reply. And so they just keep their... These are the leading priests. These are the teachers of religious law. These are the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish faith, the chosen people of God, Yahweh, God. These are God's chosen people. And they're shouting accusations at the Son of God. Keep that in mind. Verse 11, Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Verse 12 is a parenthetical expression. It says, Herod and Pilate who had been enemies before, became friends that day. So now this is something we should consider. Herod and Pilate, enemies, bonded in unity against the Son of God. What does that tell us? It tells us that Satan can persuade wicked men to lay aside their enmities in order to do harm. But what's amazing is that Christians cannot even keep up friendship in order to do good. They can't maintain harmony and unity in order to do good. What we're witnessing in this verse, these few verses, is Satan in action working against God. Okay? That's why Dr. Luke made a point to write that down for us. Verse 13. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people. So here we have the Sanhedrin and all of the crowd. And he continues, uh, verse 14, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Now, this point is important. Remember some of the teachings that, that Christ has given us about, uh, well, the parable of the vineyard, for example. A man sent a servant, and then another servant, and then another servant. And, and they beat up the servants and sent them back. And then the man who owned the vineyard sent his son, and they killed him. Well, here, the legal system of the Roman government, Pontius Pilate, and the king, King Herod, both found no crime committed by Jesus Christ. If this is so, why on earth was Jesus Christ crucified? And the answer is the chosen people of God. The very people that Moses led out of Egypt. The very people where God himself laid ten plagues on Pharaoh 
in order to get Pharaoh to release them. The very people that God spent years in the desert communing with. The very God who parted the Red Sea. These people, the religious leaders, the priests, these people who should have known that their prophesied Messiah had come, revolted and begged Pilate to crucify. How far could people who believe in God have fallen in order for an act like that to occur? Now, at the same time, consider how far our world has fallen morally today. In the United States, in the European Union, all over the world, how far has our morality fallen? If Christ would come today, would there be a revolt of people? It's very likely that we'll find out within our lifetimes. So let's read a couple of verses again. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. So... Pilate was attempting to come to a compromise here. Uh, Was it his soul speaking? Was it his conscience speaking? Probably so. But he still followed through and crucified Christ. But he said, I will have him flogged and release him. But he found nothing wrong with him, but he was going to flog him anyway. And a flogging was not good enough for these people who were supposed to represent the religious authority of the day. How far has our religious authority of today fallen? Do some churches condone sins? Yes, they do. How much farther will they fall? Verse 18 Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. Verse 19, Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Verse 22, For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison, for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. There's really not much else to say on on these verses. Um, Clearly, um, Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate could find nothing wrong with Christ. Pilate was willing to flog him, which I've I've taught before, is with the cat of nine tails. Uh, But the crowd uh, would not permit that. And so Pilate succumbed to the wishes of the people. 
But the thing we have to keep in mind is Christ knew this was coming. Uh, we know why it was coming, because God ordained the only way that the sins could be paid for is with righteous blood, because God ordained that blood be sacrificed as an atonement for sins. And if you're going to have an atonement for all sins of all mankind for all time, that sacrifice had to be a perfect sacrifice. But the thing we need to consider is how far had the nation of Israel fallen? How far had their faith in God fallen that they could not recognize the prophesied Messiah in the flesh when the Messiah had taught for three years and had performed miracle after miracle before their very eyes? How far had they fallen? But as we'll see, there are some that knew who he was. But let's continue. Verse 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. Uh, if you're not familiar with Simon the Cyrene, uh, the city of Cyrene um, was an ancient Greek city, uh, later a Roman city. Uh, that's in present-day Libya. It's about 10 miles or so uh, from the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the ruins of Cyrene are still here, uh, still there uh, today. You can Google it if you want to. The, the, the ruins are actually pretty cool looking. Um, uh, Cyrene was part of the five Greek cities uh, known as the Pentapolis. Uh, it's the five, you know, famous five Greek cities. Um, so Simon the Cyrene was a North African uh, of the day. So likely a black man, if uh, that is something that interests you. Uh, all right, let's continue. Uh, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. Which is something I love, uh, you know. Uh, a black man uh, carried the cross for Christ. A lot of people have this visualization that Christ was a white man. He obviously was not. Um, he was a Jew. Uh, the color of a person's flesh makes no difference at all. Remember, every human being that is alive today is a soul that is contained within a vessel of flesh. The flesh does not define us. Our souls define us. Uh, Christ loves us all. doesn't matter if you're black, white, purple, polka dot, or plaid. Uh, God loves us all. He created us all. Uh, that's enough of that. Verse 27. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wounds that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and will plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, verse 30 here, where Christ says, people will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. That is a quote from Hosea. Oops, I just lost my, I need to pull that up here. Hosea, here it is, 10 and 8. 
and the pagan shrines of Avon in the place of Israel's sin will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow up around their altars. They will beg the mountains bury us and plead with the hills fall on us. So this first verse that Christ said in verse 30, people will beg the mountains fall on us and plead with the hills bury us. Raise your hand if you know what he's referring to there. Yes, that is the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Now the second verse for if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What's he referring there to there, do you think? Well, Christ himself is the green tree, and the unbelieving Israel is the dry. In other words, if the Romans or actually, if the nation of Israel, but if the Romans could allow uh, such suffering and shame and torture on the sinless, innocent Son of God, what type of punishment would fall on those who murder God's beloved Son? That's what Christ is referring to there. Verse 32 Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, uh, this translation refers to the skull. What is the skull? Some translations use Calvary. Uh, the skull, uh, well, actually, yeah, let's do it this way. Skull is uh, from the Greek word for Calvary, and the Greek word for Calvary is Calvaria. And so our, uh, our source of the word Calvary is from the Latin. Now, you may have also heard the Aramaic term for skull applied here, and that's Golgotha. Okay, so Golgotha and Calvaria uh, both translate to skull, the place of the skull. Now, that place now uh, is uh, the traditional site for where uh, Christ's crucifixion occurred is uh, within the walls of what is now the old city of Jerusalem, and the traditional site is uh, at a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And you may have seen, uh, or if you've been there, you may have seen it. But uh, what was that? History Channel and I think National Geographic uh, has some, some good videos and stories about the Holy Sepulchre uh, that you may want to Google that or actually go there. I'd like to take a tour there. Uh, one of these days, if my health allows me to do so. Uh, one on his right and one on his left. Oh, I missed a, I missed a note, uh, one of my notes here on Simon the Cyrene. Um, two of uh, Simon's sons, what is that reference? I put myself, I <laughs> look at Mark, but I didn't, mark, uh, here it is. Verse uh, 15 and 21 uh, marks, um, um, uh, yeah, let's, let's read uh, verse 15 and 21. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Okay, so those are Simon the Cyrene's sons, who later became well-known Christians, who are Alexander and Rufus. Uh, so I wanted to make sure to mention that. I just missed my note there. 
Oh, yeah. That, there's another note here. Uh, the one on his right and one on his left. Um, that fulfills, gosh, that's Isaiah. Uh, there were three crosses at Calvary that day with Christ in the middle. And this fulfilled Isaiah 53 and 12. Uh, actually, let's... Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go ahead and read the fifty-three and twelve. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many, and interceded for rebels. Man, Isaiah is good stuff. I look forward to getting back to that one of these days. Uh, verse thirty-four. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Now, this throwing dice that you see in scriptures a lot uh, is very common, uh, all the way back to, uh, to uh, uh, oh gosh, that name's escaping. Here it is, Psalm 22 and 18. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Okay, uh, verse 35. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others. They said, let, himself, let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a sour drink of wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. Okay, a couple of things here. Notice, while Christ was on the cross... Nailed to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, <laughs> how much love does Christ have for sinful people? when he's nailed to the cross and prays for them. In Christ's soul, there's, there's no resentment. There's no, there's no anger. There's no, no vengeance, no desire to punish those who are torturing him. How, could a human being come up with enough words to even closely resemble the type of love that Christ has for us? Here he was beaten, he was flogged, he was spit upon. They took a crown of thorns and crushed it into his skull. They mock him. They nail him to a cross. He, the only sinless man to have ever lived, is hanging between two known sinners, hanging in the place of Barabbas, who is the very one who, who instilled an insurrection, who murdered the very crimes that he was being supposedly punished for. But Christ is hanging there and prays for the very souls of those torturing him while he is taking upon himself the sins of every sinner who ever lived and ever will live. 
so that we have a choice. We have a choice of whether or not we wish to live an eternal life in paradise or continue to live in filth and end up in hell. And how many people today, when someone comes up to them and says, do you know Jesus? How many people today are mocked? That mocking is nothing compared to what Christ endured because his soul is clean. But yet, he prays for those who punish him. Can we even conceive of such a love? Now, I want to share some different translations for you um, on what was placed above the head of Christ because um, that's something that just is important to me. I, I really don't know why, but I'll, I'll just share it with you uh, for free because everything is free, but that was meant to be a joke. But I guess when we're talking about Christ, things don't come out funny, at least in my heart. But uh, we know that Pilate uh, caused a notice to be placed on the cross above Christ's head. Now, uh, John's gospel uh, calls it a title. Uh, Matthew's gospel calls it a charge or uh, accusation or indictment, depending upon the translation that you're looking at. And Mark and Luke uh, calls it a superscription. Now, uh, I'm going to read a different translation and just read what is stated in these Gospels for you. Uh, John 19.19 19 says this, and in this case, I'm going to use the NRSV uh, to give you a little bit of a different flavor of what is written. So this is John 19. Uh, let's, yeah, let's start with John 19 and 19. Pilate also had an inscription written and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but write the man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Okay, so notice that John brings out that it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And then notice that the chief priests asked Pilate to change it. How well, just absurd is that. Uh, Matthew uh, reads thusly, uh, Matthew chapter 27 and 37. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Okay, notice the subtle difference. Mark, uh, well, remember Mark uh, wasn't a, a disciple uh, wasn't an apostle. Um, of course, neither was Luke. Here's, uh, here's what Mark had to say. Mark 15 and 26. The inscription read of the charge against him, read the king of the Jews. And then, of course, we've already read Luke. So I just wanted to share those with you. Uh, I like where John points out uh, that it's written in three different languages. Uh, and it starts out with Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, and that it's written in Hebrew, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Because most of the time when you see, uh, you know, a sculpture or, or, or what do you call those things that hang on a necklace, like my cross here, it's called, is it a pendant? I don't know if that's the right word or not. 
but a lot of times when you see a pendant or a painting or whatever it'll just have you know one line of writing on it but according to john there were three lines of writing on it but uh, i just think when we're talking about our king of kings and lord of lords hanging on a cross that it might be good to to see all views of that uh, because I, uh, okay verse 39 one uh, yeah this is good uh, king of the Jews. verse 39 one of the criminals hanging behind beside <clears throat> let me get a drink okay i'm sorry uh, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed so you're the messiah are you Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. I mean, what what kind of a, uh, how, uh, how far gone does your soul have to be to be hanging on a cross by an innocent man and say something like that? But verse 40. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, notice I've taught you before, uh, you know, going through Luke here, that Christ uh, never denied. Uh, he almost did that one time. And we'll get to that when we get to Matthew. But, you know, every time somebody asked him for something, he always complied. Even uh, I love my favorite one to bring up is Legion, uh, the Legion of Demons that were in the man in the cave. He even answered the, the, the request of the demons to go into pigs instead of going into hell. I mean, how bad does hell have to be if demons would rather go into pigs and then run into water to die than to be gone, to sent into hell? I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, and here Christ is hanging on the cross. And because he saw the, the heart of the man that was hanging on the cross, he says, I'll bring you to paradise with me. That's just, that's just a man that deserves praise. You know, and today in society, we, 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 I don't know if the right word is worship, but I guess it is really. But I mean, how do people flock to, to these quote unquote celebrities that are on social media or 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 uh, I can't think of the word of the video gaming thing uh, and I, I uh, <laughs> or, or YouTube or uh, uh, Twitch is the one I couldn't remember you know or Twitter or TikTok how many millions of people go every day how many times a day just to see what those people are doing but doesn't Jesus Christ deserve that kind of attention? Why can't we turn our hearts to him? And the answer is simple. Satan is the one tempting you away from God. But people can't see it literally because their hearts are hardened. That's what scripture teaches us. People find it hard to turn to scripture because Satan is pulling us away. And it's even written that if, if you read Scripture for a while and, 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 and you begin to get tired and you find it hard to do so, well, that thing that tires you out or that thing that pulls you away, it isn't God that's pulling you away. It's Satan that's pulling you away. But God gave us the choice to fight. We have a choice to fight for our right to go to heaven. We have a choice to fight for our friends 
to go to heaven. We have a choice. Make the right choice. Help yourselves. Help your friends. God gave us the right to do so. Verse 44. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Now, this darkness, um, this darkness was a sign to the nation of Israel that they had rejected the light and now God is judicially blinding them. They rejected the light. The light was Christ. As a matter of fact, let's pull up um, Amos. Amos 8 and 9. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all the loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Now, that was the NRSV translation of Amos, just because I had to happen, I happen to have that open on the monitor on my left, but it does a, it does a good job. Uh, verse 45. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now, this, um, the temple curtain um, is the one separating the holy place from the most holy place. Uh, we can read that in Exodus uh, 26 and 31. This is where uh, God explains how to, uh, how to build the temple. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen. Decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread with a skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases hang the inner curtain from clasps and put the ark of the covenant in the room behind it this curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place uh, cherub is, um, matter of fact, I believe the name itself means one who blesses. But um, we've seen cherubs depicted as uh, protecting the Garden of Eden. Um, well, I don't want to get too deeply into into their their ranks and so forth. Uh, that's getting into uh, cabal, but. Um, uh, in Ezekiel, a uh, cherub is depicted as having uh, uh, two pairs of wings and four faces. One of a lion, one of an ox, one of an eagle uh, that comes to mind, and one of a human, I believe, if I remember correctly. But I, I wanted to explain the veil a little bit so you had an idea of what we're talking about. Um, now, the idea that the veil was torn uh, from top to bottom 
means that now uh, the veil uh, that separated uh, the most holy from the holiest of holies, since that veil is gone, since that veil is torn, that means that we now have access to God through the death of Jesus Christ. Okay, so God was giving us that visible sign that we have access to Christ. Matter of fact, we could read uh, Hebrews uh, 10. Let's start around 19 or so. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Okay? Hence why the veil was torn. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I just feel like reading just a little bit more here. This is so good. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And his day of return is really drawing near. Verse four, excuse me, verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Now, that is a direct quote from uh, Psalms 31 and 5. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. I hope when the day of my death comes that I have the wherewithal to remember to speak those words. Um, anyway, verse 47. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. I often wonder how many of Christ's friends were there to witness this. John uh, gives a little bit of a different account. Let's, let's go ahead and read that, uh, starting on uh, John 19 and uh, 25, I suppose. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus. Notice John says they were standing near the cross. And Luke says far off. Remember, Luke was a historian. And John is one who was actually there. Uh, meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, 
Here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Now, I made some notes over here. Let me see. As to the identity of the women, this group included some and may have included all of the following. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not for very long did she stand near the cross, as John states. Mary's sister, which is Salome, or Salome, I don't know how to properly pronounce that. I wrote uh, S-A-L-O-M-E, who was the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Mary, the wife of Clopas, the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph, and Mary Magdalene. Uh, and then, of course, Matthew, Mark, uh, uh, you know, uh, have similar uh, mentions, and uh, Joanna is another one. But uh, how many more were there? Were there? I often, uh, I often wonder. Verse fifteen. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. Now notice, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, uh, the, 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 the priest that... Uh, you know, we've been talking about time and again uh, for so long together. And, and notice that he was a man of faith and that he noticed that Christ was the Messiah. One out of how many? Uh, Joseph was, uh, was known as, as a distinguished and respected prominent member of the Sanhedrin. And uh, matter of fact, uh, what is that? Mark? Uh, Mark 15 and 43. Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time, uh, you know, and so forth and so on. Uh, matter of fact, Barnabas, uh, uh, Barnabas in Acts here, uh, Acts 11 and 24. Uh, let's go back to 23. Let's go back to 22. When news of this came to ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, when he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and so forth and so on. But uh, that's enough of that. Uh, you know, Joseph, by, by going to get the, the body of Christ from Pilate, at, at the moment he, he asked a Pilate for the body and took the body of Christ down and wrapped it in linen 
and buried it in the tomb. At that point, he separated himself from the nation of Israel. I should also say that um, Joseph didn't do this by himself. Um, uh, Nicodemus uh, actually helped him because, I mean, I mean, Joseph couldn't have taken the body of Christ down from the cross by himself. I think John talks about that, John 19 and 39, uh, 38, uh, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So, you know, the spices uh, wrapping in linen cloths was, was a custom, uh, but they, they probably washed uh, uh, Christ's body first, and then applied the linen wraps and the, and the myrrh and the aloes and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, oh, it's just so much to think about that uh, oh, I should also mention um, I think it's Mark that mentions uh, Mary Magdalene uh, Salome and Mary the mother of James uh, purchased the spices um, I've mentioned before that Mary Magdalene has sometimes been um, wrongly accused of being a prostitute in no way and in nowhere in scripture uh, does it say that she is a prostitute but I'll go ahead and uh, read Mark uh, what it should be around 16 yeah Mark 16 and 1 when the Sabbath was over Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Uh, and I'll stop there because uh, uh, we'll get to that in, in other Gospels. But I just wanted to let you know that uh, those three were the ones that bought spices. So we have uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And Nicodemus, that we know, took Christ's body down, uh, anointed it with their spices. They had 100 pounds. And then Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome uh, bought spices. Uh, so clearly, they loved Christ very much and uh, were close enough with him and, and followed him enough uh, to be intimate with his, his burial uh, preparations. Uh, okay. Uh, that is, yeah, we finished. Uh, verse 56, yeah, they went home. Yeah, okay. That's the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. Um, as always, uh, feel free to get a hold of me. Some people email and say they didn't know if they were allowed to do so or not. Of course you are. Uh, I know a lot of people have hesitation to uh, contact people because they think that they won't reply. Uh, I'll reply to everybody, uh, you know, even if it might be a short reply. But, uh, you know, I'll always, if, if you ask something in earnest, I'll always take the time because we are all God's children. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you are. Uh, I love everybody, even those that have wronged me. Uh, so, yeah, don't hesitate. And uh, please share, uh, if you can, on whatever social media you have or email uh, the podcast so that other people uh, 
at least have the opportunity to hear the word of Christ, uh, the gospel, and uh, the word of God once we get back to the Old Testament again, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, uh, without missing a beat. Uh, but as always, I'll uh, ask the Heavenly Father, please extend through my raised hand a blessing to your listeners. Uh, please extend your blessing of healing, your blessing of grace, your love, your blessing of peace, as I extend to them Numbers 624, 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.